Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Join Gabriel and his food hero guests every Wednesday on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so happy to have Hannah Messinger of Nothing But Delicious here on the show today. Hannah graduated from Boston University with a photojournalism degree and started her blog, Nothing But Delicious, out of boredom. She had spent some time away from writing and photography, but through her blog has learned many lessons, like that she indeed wants to be a writer and that cooking is an exercise in patience. Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. It's a pleasure to have you, first of all, Hannah. Your blog, Nothing But Delicious, you wrote that you started it out of boredom. It's very honest of you. Can you share a little bit about this time in your life? Yeah, it was, I don't want to say it was a bad time in my life. I had everything I needed, but I lived it under fluorescent lights and behind locked doors and everything felt clean all the time. There was air freshener pumped into the air conditioning and everything felt so sanitized. And really, I think the only joy in my life ended up being beer. I used to go to this place called the 12th South Taproom every Friday. And I found out from the really wonderful bartender named Chris Sweeney that my favorite beers were the funkiest ones. And they're also what would be considered the dirtiest. They're made with wild yeast and they're made in all natural, like really old fashioned processes. And through that, I got really interested in fermented foods and things that are really, really flavorful. Wow. So that was like the complete opposite of sort of the environment that you were in at the time. Yes, yes. I did. Over the course of maybe two years, I did a complete 180 in my life. Wow. Wow. And what made you gravitate towards starting a blog? So I had been reading fashion blogs for a while. My favorite one is called Sea of Shoes. And they had linked to a blog called La Tartine Bourmont, which I'm sure I said like a redneck. I'm from Tennessee. I'm really sorry. But I had this office job where I was just on the computer all day and talking to people on the phone so I could look at whatever on the screen and ended up reading the entire blog start to finish like a book just because, I mean, what else was I going to do? I can't sit still. And I didn't realize that food blogs were a thing. I didn't realize they could be a cool thing. You know, back in the day when you thought of a blog, it was kind of dorky thing, right? Right. And um, I was just blown away by her images and her recipes and the way she wrote. And I felt like it could be, if nothing else for me, good practice just to write and photograph things. Cool. So I have to ask, has nothing but delicious cured your boredom? Yeah, it has. Nothing else has brought me so much fun work. It's not lucrative work, but I mean, like my first job I got from Twitter shooting a brand new chocolate company here called I mean brand new then not brand new now called Olive and Sinclair and the owner is like real life Willy Wonka and he always just gives me a box like $200 worth of chocolate in it like it's so much fun wow some of the perks of (laughs) (laughs) really cool well I mean you graduated from Boston University with a photojournalism degree Was writing about food and sort of documenting your food adventures always kind of the goal No, actually, I spent a lot of time in my life thinking I was going to be a Nat Geo photographer. And then I learned about malaria. (laughs) (laughs) Every Nat Geo photographer has had malaria like a minimum of five times. And I, I just thought maybe that's not for me. 
So my mom would tell me that I should write about food because my family owns a restaurant and it seemed like a natural thing to do. But as an active rebellion, I would always say, no, I like things that move around. I don't really find things that sit still very interesting. And of course, now I think exactly the opposite. <laughs> I love shooting stuff that for the most, I mean, you know, sometimes you've got caramel that's dripping down cake or whatever, but I like things that move slowly. Yeah. <laughs> or you can slowly toss food onto the table or something like that. <laughs> Capture the motion. Did your background help when you started the blog? You know, with you know everything that's involved with blogging, you know, there's the writing, photography and all that. Did it help? Yes, in that I understood aperture, exposure, lenses, ISO, all that kind of stuff was super helpful. But food photography is a whole different world from photojournalism. So it was really frustrating to start out thinking that I'd be good at it because I spent my whole life around food. I had a degree in photography. And then when I did my first shoot, it was terrible. And I thought, how could this be right? And so it took a long time to learn food styling and the right angles and the right plates and things like that. Yeah. Was it actually more challenging because you had this background in photojournalism to do something like food photography? I don't know. I think in a way it was just because I already had a really good sense of what good and bad photography was because I spent so much time thinking about it. And if anything, that's held me back. Like, I wish I didn't know. And I just kept barreling forward and got more stuff done. But when I started out, I would redo the same shoot five times just because I wasn't happy with it. Right, right. What would you say was the most challenging part of blogging for you? Probably what I just said. I mean, myself, I'm the most challenging part. I'm a real perfectionist and I like to take my time doing things. And a lot of times that means not having as popular of a site as sometimes I thought I would have just because I'm not on the same track and schedule that people hope to see. Have there been any unexpected rewards from your blog? Yeah, actually, I've made a lot of friends through it. I've met a lot of people through Instagram, um, like my friend Kate Davis, who has a really great Instagram called Nashville Food Fan. I met a whole community of people, really. and. In many ways, it brought me closer to people that I already knew. It gave us something to talk about. I uh, had really terrible socialization skills until I was like 24. Oh, no. (laughs) And I I just never knew what to talk to people about. And now people talk to me about cooking, which is something I feel like almost everyone has in common. And it makes me feel a lot more relaxed around people. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, I guess we all have to eat. So, I mean, cooking is just a natural part of that. I've only met maybe one or two people in my whole life that are like, I just don't care what I eat. I eat whatever. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's not right. That's no way to live. (laughs) Hannah, you mentioned that your family has a restaurant. Did you always have a curiosity around food? I did. When I was maybe three years old, my yaya, that's Greek for grandmother, gave me a teeny tiny baking set for Christmas. And it's probably the best gift I've ever received to this day. She was a really great hostess. And um, I have very fond memories of going to her house on every holiday and just Sunday afternoons. And everything she made was so intriguing. Just for, I mean, like from Chex Mix to Jello salad, because it was the 80s to prime rib, like everything was perfect. Yeah. And is there something that you guys like to make together? 
she actually passed away when I was pretty young. So I didn't learn much about cooking directly from her. Right. But my mom, every Easter, makes lamb and minestra, which is not the right name for it. It's just what my family calls it. I learned recently. It's lamb baked on a rack so that the juices drip down. And then you put cherry tomatoes under it and they roast in the juices and let their own juices out. And at the end, you throw in orzo and it cooks in all the tomato and lamb juice. And you serve it all together on a plate with lots of lemon and herbs and feta cheese. Wow. Also makes panacopita with phyllo dough. And I wasn't even allowed to touch the phyllo until I was 18. But now she lets me do it. And it's really fun. (laughs) It's like a rite of passage. You have to earn your touching of the phyllo. You have to watch every Easter for 10 years. (laughs) Right. Besides your family, Hannah, who are some of your food heroes? I think like everyone in the blogging world, I learned almost everything I knew from Alton Brown as opposed to going to culinary school or anything like that. The book Ratio by Michael Rollman was really life-changing. And I also love this book called An Everlasting Meal, Cooking with Economy and Grace, which is by Tamar Adler, but it's modeled on the book How to Cook a Wolf by MFK Fisher. And it talks about toppling meals that if you have steamed broccoli for dinner one night the next day at lunch you make quick pickled broccoli stem salad and things like that meals that make sense that merge into one another and that really changed the way i cook cool so that definitely some resources for us home cooks to check out if we want to get some inspiration yes through your blog you've written that you learned that cooking is an exercise in patience Can you talk about what you mean by this? I mean that it takes time and there's no way around that. If you mess up a recipe, a lot of times the store is closed, you're out of ingredients, you're out of money to buy new ingredients. You really have to wait until next week if you're a home cook to try it again. And that can seem like such a long time for an impatient person like me. Right. And I feel like that's an everyday challenge for me, just that not only cooking, but things take time. And cooking has conditioned me, I think, to deal with that in my life. Right. And can you share a story of a time when you were cooking that really tested your patience? Yes. Okay. So I did a kinfolk dinner maybe three years ago in Chattanooga. And it was all about infusion. And I had made a chai pot de creme, which in all my recipe tests, the cream broke because ginger is pretty acidic, but it's an, a necessary flavor in the process. So I struggled to figure out how to get it in there. And then when I finally figured it out, I was baking them off at my parents' place, which they were running a really old condo at the time. And I put them in the oven and I thought, this is it. I finally got it. And I swear the oven door exploded. (laughs) And I sat down in the middle of the glass and cried. Oh, my. How did that happen? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's something about the door had warped and there's two panes of glass. And if moisture gets between them, it can expand or something. I'm not a scientist. That's like my best guess, but I, I don't really know. And it had to happen on that day. Of course, right? <laughs> well, Hannah, is there a recipe or a dish that gets you every time? And you mentioned that this uh, pot de creme recipe kind of broke uh, several times. But is there something that you don't attempt anymore just because it is so heartbreaking? No, not really. I struggle with 
custard pies. I mean, we all do. They're very temperamental. I lose one to slumping or sogginess every now and then, like everyone, but I try not to let that get me down. Yeah. For us home cooks, what would be some words of encouragement for us to push past our trusty, you know, tried and true dishes to venture out to try something more challenging and actively testing our own patience? I'm going to use custard pies as an example because I just talked about it. And my advice would be just to take baby steps. If you can make each separate component by itself and succeed without combining them, which is to say you could roll out the dough and you could bake it in little rounds. You could make lemon curd, put it on top, top it with strawberries and a little whipped cream or something. Then you know you can do it next time and you feel good going into it. Just that you know what each thing is supposed to be like and that you've done it successfully. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a really awesome tip because, I mean, as they say, Rome wasn't built in one day, right? Like you have to take the small steps, like one brick at a time to build that house or build that, you know, whatever. And once you have some confidence, then you can just go at the whole thing. My mom always says, take the next right step, which sounds so frustrating when you have a really big and daunting task in front of you. It sounds like being told to think small, but small steps snowball. And that's the only way you can get anywhere. You can't do step nine before you've done step two. I get really mad at her every time she tells me that. But then I'm like, okay, wait, this has always been good advice. Right, right. Absolutely. Hannah, I have to ask, you're in Nashville. Can you talk to me about hot chicken and are you obsessed with it? So I'm not a big meat eater and I don't eat it a whole lot. My friend Jennifer Justice, who literally wrote the book on Nashville food, it's called Nashville Eats, is like the hot chicken queen. And I get to hang out with her and talk about hot chicken. My favorite place to go, well, okay, everyone loves Hattie B's. Hattie B's is awesome. Go to Hattie B's. But Hattie B's wasn't here when I moved here. And it wasn't here when she started writing about hot chicken in the Tennessean like 10 years ago. And what was here when I moved here was Bolton's, which is just a little shack. And it used to, it's in a nice neighborhood now. Back then it wasn't. And I would go there. I actually really like hot chicken a lot better than hot fish, catfish, not tilapia. (laughs) But I used to go there and They fry it and you get it as hot as it comes. Like, don't wimp out. You're eating hot chicken or hot fish. It comes on a piece of white bread with pickles on top. And you eat it and it's so hot that it gets you almost high. It's like this outer body spicy experience and it's amazing. And the next day, all of a sudden, you will feel like the devil himself has taken up residence in your butthole. Oh, no. (laughs) And even after you get past all that, you still decide that it was totally worth it. It's just that good. Wow. And I guess eventually (laughs) you will forget the pain and you'll just go back. (laughs) Yes, it really is kind of addicting, which is why I don't eat it quite as much anymore. Right. Well, Hannah, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe the story behind the dish? So maybe my favorite dish on my whole website is called tomato mayo pie. And it's really special to me now because when my husband and I first started dating, I put him through and he didn't know. I put him through this series of tests to see if he liked eating what I like eating. 
So we did mussels with extra bread was the first one. That was our first date. Sweet potato fries dipped in mayonnaise. And then I made him this brunch one day that was wilted spinach, poached eggs, and tomato pie. And I don't know what it was about that day. I wish I could reach out and squeeze it. I love it so much. I mean, we fell in love on our first date, but that really felt like the day the deal was done. We knew we were going to get married. We didn't talk about it. Now we talk about how that day was just what stuck out in our memories as when we were sure, you know? Right, right. But it was special to me before that because I grew up eating tomato mayo pies at like church potlucks. And before that, I I liked them then because they reminded me of my papa who had this great garden down by the Tennessee River. He grew his own heirloom tomatoes and would give them to my mom by the basket full. And I remember in the summer, almost every day, I would eat a piece of white bread with mayonnaise and a fat slice of tomato and a big pinch of salt for lunch. So it's special to me for a lot of reasons, I guess. Right. Let's say that you could invite three famous people over to share your tomato mayo pie with, who would you invite? I feel like I'd really like to invite, and I'm going to get a super white girl with this one, Abby Jacobson (laughs) and Alana Glazer. But then wouldn't it be weird to invite a fourth person? Because, you know, they're like a duo. And then I don't know. I don't know who the person would be. I just (laughs) feel like they would be enough. Perfect. Well, let's say you had them over and you guys were to watch a movie together while having this pie. What movie would you uh, share with them? So I think a good movie to pair with any dish and any one is called The History of Future Folk, which is this indie movie that's self-described as the only alien folk duo sci-fi action romance comedy movie ever made. Wow. It's a little bit of something for everyone. It's just a really touching film, and it has this great soundtrack of almost like bluegrassy music that I, I grew up listening to in kind of the country churches around Chattanooga. So I like it a lot for that reason, too. Perfect. I mean, it sounds like they would enjoy this movie as well. I hope so. Yeah. I'd like to think that we have a lot of the same interests. Well, Hannah, I call the next part of the dinner special podcast, The Pressure Cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? Yes. Awesome. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? Okay. Obviously, I watch Mind of a Chef and Chef's Table and Great British Bake Off. Who doesn't love that? But recently, my favorite is called I'll Have What Phil's Having on PBS with Phil Rosenthal. It's so, so, so funny. Oh, cool. I haven't heard of that one. So I'll I'll definitely uh, YouTube that. His first one is in Japan, which has been fun for me because I just started working for a restaurant group that owns a ramen ya. And I'm just now learning about Japanese ingredients. So it was fun to watch him go and try everything that I'm learning about. Cool. Number two. What are some food blogs or food websites we have to know about? I'm assuming everyone knows about Molly Yeah. Everyone loves Molly Yeah. She's so funny and so sweet. And I'm just a super huge major fangirl of Lady and Pups. I like her brutal honesty. I like that she has a series called Shits I Eat When I'm By Myself. (laughs) I mean, it's like embarrassing stuff, but I eat shit like that when I'm by myself too. And I'm like, yes. Yes, she's so cool. My favorite one, it's like flaming Cheetos and a grilled cheese with arugula and Gouda. It's 
beautiful. <laughs> I would eat that by myself with somebody in a group in any situation. Exactly. She's she's taking the shame out of things that food bloggers aren't supposed to like. Great. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat that make you happy? My favorites right now. Do you follow Chef Jack Lemaire? It's really some of the best satire our generation has ever seen. Yeah. And then there's another one called Kimmy Swimmy. And I saw her via Munchies on Vice. And they say that she kills octopus with her bare teeth. Wow. (laughs) Super major badass bitch. She's, I mean, like everything I hope to be in life. (laughs) Awesome. Now, number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? It's not very unusual, but I have this marble rolling pin that I bought at a thrift store years ago for $10. And two or three years ago, I was in this real freak accident with a semi. It ran over my Subaru. And the only things I pulled out of the car besides myself were my dog, my camera, and my marble rolling pin. So it's been through a lot with me. So I'm a little attached to it. Number five. Name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. I'm actually in the process of learning to like shrimp. I know everyone loves shrimp, but I just never have. Actually, the restaurant group I work for has a restaurant called Little Octopus, and the chef there makes shrimp ceviche. That's really the first time I've ever felt like, okay, I can do this. I make myself try shrimp a minimum of three times a year. And I'm really glad I did because this was the first time I thought I could get somewhere with it. Is it just shrimp or is it all shellfish? It's shrimp and scallops. It's the texture. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? Probably my favorite cookbook right now and maybe always is Donna Hay's Seasons. It's just photographed beautifully. The recipes are simple. They're seasonal. They're just beautiful. And then because I make pie a lot, I refer to the 4 and 20 Blackbirds cookbook all the time. It's really like the pie Bible. You can't go wrong with a recipe from 4 and 20 Blackbirds. Great. And finally, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? I love the album called Yankee Hotel Foxtrot from the band Wilco. I don't know. I have a lot of moods while I cook. You know, I go up and down and everywhere in between. And it has a good range of songs that I feel like accompany that. Great. Well, congratulations, Hannah. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Good. (laughs) Hannah, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. Now you're on social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? Definitely Instagram, and my handle is HM Messenger. Perfect. And the website is nothingbutdelicious.squarespace.com. Yes, I've always been too cheap to buy my own domain. <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today, Hannah. I hope you had fun. And yeah, we can't wait to get to know what else you're going to be up to. Great, thanks. Thank you for listening. Head on over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.